If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. Just realizing now how many times I say the word sports in this intro, and that is annoying. Uh, and joining Brad, me, we should, sh- you know what? It is annoying. Let's just shut the whole pod down. <laughs> you know what? Done and done. Mission accomplished. Uh, joining me, the voice you just heard right there, holding down the fort in our snowy Brooklyn bureau. It is seven-time Emmy winning and what? Twenty-two-time Emmy losing <laughs> sports yeah, producer. So good ratio. Yeah, <laughs> Gareth Hughes. Uh, Gareth, how you doing? Uh, doing good, making it through this pandemic winter, and you know, trying to keep the kids sane and go from there. So every day in Chicago, we're getting like an annoying dusting of snow that's forcing us to redo the driveway because it turns to ice <laughs> if you leave it there. And I threw my back out, so my wife's been doing the snow blower every day in the driveway, and I just want to say shout out to her. Yeah, the real shout hero. out to yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's an American hero right there. Hey, and look, Gareth, you mentioned it off the top. We've been closing down shop slowly but surely on Just Not Sports. We announced our pending, looming, whatever-ing you want to put here, uh, (laughs) departure. And one person we had to call back one final time was Alexi Lalas. I think he personifies why this show existed in the first place, which was to give a platform to athletic figures to discuss things Mm -hmm. they, they really enjoy doing. And if you remember when the show first started, we spent a lot of time kind of geeking out about athlete side projects and albums and movies. He also though, to us who grew up when we did in the early nineties defined that, you know, like it was him and his band and Jack McDowell and his band growing up. Um, Clearly Shaq, like in his, with his rap Shaq career. Shaq became a rapper. And like that era in the early 90s is when I feel like all of this kind of, I don't know, exploded in a new way. When Alexi first joined, we talked about his entire musical career, going back to like albums like Ginger. He came back on a couple of years ago. We, we talked again about some of his more recent work. You can find all of his music um, on the internet, go go to his Twitter. Uh, go to uh, just Google him and b- watch your watch your back googling him because there is another Alexi Lalas musician in Europe that we've discussed with him, huh. uh, who who kind of muddies up his his uh, SEO. So I reached out to Alexi and I said, "You're one of our favorite guests. You embody everything about why we made this show. Would you come back on and give us like your all time mixtape?" And boy, Gareth. Did he deliver? First things first, he was like, I was like, how many songs do you want to do? And he's like, let's do a starting 11. You know and I'm like? I'm so pissed I didn't think of of that. Like, is he like the soccer player here? It didn't occur to me. And what I love about what he did with the format was he made it a little bit more autobiographical, kind of like the story of his life and his tastes and how they developed. And, and when you hear him talk through why he chose what he chose, you kind of get a better sense for, you know, just his own journey as a person. And, and at Garrett, that inspired us. After the interview, we're going to do our own Your Life as a Mixtape 
experiment uh, for posterity. Maybe our kids will, it'll be like a, uh, like a playlist for our kids. Uh, so mm -hmm. stick around for that. But like I said, Alexi just, he's a great guest. We've loved having him on. It was so much fun to talk to him one last time. And we will be Alexi fans, not just from a soccer perspective, but from a music perspective for life. I, I, I'm sure of it. Amen. All right. And with that, let's get to the interview and then stick around after Gareth and I will be back to distract you with those aforementioned autobiographical mix tapes. Sit down next to your tape deck. Get your fingers over the, the, the record button ready to go because uh, we're, we're, we're doing it right. I have to ask, um, when the pandemic finally ends, are, should I be expecting like a, a boxed set of new Alexi Lawless music, my friend? <laughs> like, that's what I'm hoping for. Well, you know, usually um, I, I just assume that there's three people out there that actually listen to any of the music that I put out. <laughs> and, and one of those is my mom, most of the time. Uh, I, I've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, by the amount of people that have asked me <laughs> if I'm working on music. I am. I am actually, I am sitting front of, uh, in front of a Pro Tools session as we speak. I continue to churn out for all three, maybe four of those people. So hopefully this year we'll have some stuff that, I mean, look, there's going to be a glut of, uh, of, of all sorts of stuff. People having been pent up and cooped up right. for so long. So there's going to be a lot of crap stuff that comes out. Let's be honest. Um, hopefully mine is not part of that, but you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to grin and bear it. If you're, if you're one of those that will, uh, uh, you know, that will, will, will seek it out. So hopefully I'll have some stuff out later on this year. Look, I, my show talks to a lot of different creative people who do, who dabble in and, and spend their time doing different things. I have heard from a number of them. They've felt inspiration has been challenging given the way the pandemic has disrupted daily life. What's it been like for you? Have you found yourself you know, more less inspired or just kind of the same? I mean, you're, you're pretty prolific in terms of your output anyway. So is, has it been kind of business as usual for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always looked at it as, as ritual and routine, maybe in a, in an athletic sense um, in terms of, you know, the writing and the recording and, you know, you might, you might practice something in, in a, uh, in an athletic field, that you're only going to use once maybe, or maybe not even at all, but it doesn't mean that it can't be important and, and, and inform what you do. Um, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing it. So, you know, I, I, I look at it that same way. I haven't had a lack of inspiration. What I have guarded against, <clears throat> as I'm sure many people out there in, in all different mediums and artists out there is you know, the, the proverbial lockdown type of song. Um, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want, yeah. you know, I don't want to be, and if I am doing it, I want to hide it. And I don't certainly want to, I don't want to be direct about it. it. It can't help but influence what we do, but you know, I probably the, the biggest challenge for an artist, for a musician would be to write an incredibly happy uh, and joyous type of song relative to the times that we are living in. And so I, I, I like to go about it like that in that try not to do the, the obvious. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of artists do that, but I can totally understand how inspiration as that routine has been changed to a completely different routine. It can mess with you. Um, uh, so, you know, but look, like a lot of artists, 99% of the stuff that I do never sees the light of day, but it doesn't mean <laughs> that it's not stuff that I, that I need to do and have to do. 
You can will a, a, the Just Not Sports podcast your long lost recordings, my friend. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll save them for posterity. Archived. All right. <laughs> yeah, for there the you three go. People. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you again for coming back on. Like like I mentioned uh, off air, you, you've been one of our favorite guests. We we started the show just to celebrate athletes who are doing interesting things, and I I think you you represent. Uh, you know the the top one percent of that, given your musical outputs and the th- and the, and the way that you kind of put yourself and your interests out there online. So I'm excited. We, we we were trading ideas on what to do today. We we landed on the Alexi Lawless all time mixtape, and I and I had to say I was super jealous because you were like, how many songs? And I was like, I don't know, ten. And you're like, why don't we do a starting eleven? And I go, I can't believe I did. I didn't think of that. Like, well, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, that was that was low hanging fruit there. But you know, look, this is uh, it, it is always a pleasure and a real honor. I just love uh, coming on the show, and, and I'm I'm sad that it's going away. But five years, two hundred pods, and and uh, for you and for Gareth, uh, what you have done because you know it, it, it's it's. I, I think it's not important. I mean, this is just sports and music and everything right. like that. But but it but I, it's I think it has served in a, a, an interesting um, type of uh, of niche and purpose out there when it comes to a lot of the you know the the people out there that we look at in one way. And this doesn't just necessarily, just necessarily apply to athletes, but the people that we look at in one way. And we're all multidimensional. We all have different layers. Um, and discovering those and peeling some of those back. Uh, I think can be really interesting. I think think I think they it can inform and give you context to these people that we oftentimes see just in a two dimensional type of uh, of way. Um, and 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 you know maybe we grow to appreciate them a little bit more, or we just grow to maybe understand them a little bit more. Yeah, you know, and look, uh, no better way to understand someone than by their musical tastes. I, let me start here. I, I want I'm interested to dive right into your track list, but I have to ask. Did you formulate this thinking like, hey, it's the it's the 80s. We're sitting in front of like two tape decks, one t- copying, you know, whatever onto the other one. Were you thinking like flow and and and, you know, side flip over? Or was it just like, hey, I'm not, I'm going to grab my my top 11 and go. This is this. This sucked. Uh, this was the hardest <laughs> thing ever. I can't believe that I suggested this. I was so stupid because for. You know, for any lover of music like you or myself or anybody, it's, you know, it's your favorite baby and it, it is impossible. And, you know, look, we have the uh, the evergreen type of desert island uh, scenarios that we put together. So what I did was I tried to to make it representative of the life that I have lived. I turned 50 years old uh, in, in 2020 and I wanted to make it representative of the, the life and the musical life that I live. It would very easily, I could pick one year in, in the 80s, by the way, and come <laughs> up with m- more than 11 that are just awesome oh, yeah. songs that I love that mean so much to me. But what I did was I tried to hit every decade that I could, that I've been around, and and try to come up with some songs that meant something to me. Some of them, many people will know, a couple of them might be, be obscure. And obviously, like anybody, we have our moments, and oftentimes it's it's decades and, and eras that come to define our, a lot of our musical tastes. So as we get further towards 2021, it, it, it gets harder and harder for me to find. But also what ends up happening in an interesting way is the single uh, type of phenomenon 
uh, has become so prevalent and so important that I, I don't associate those years anymore with necessarily with albums. And so I, I found right. songs that while I may not be a huge fan of the album or the, uh, the, the band for that matter, that song hit me and that song stayed with me. So that's how I went about it. But I'm going to immediately regret this 11 as soon as this is out. <laughs> All right. Just like uh, every Josie Marino team, right? Like it just exactly. instantly hates his, his squad. Let's as, start soon as, with, the, as soon as the first whistle blows. Right. Uh, okay, let's start with your, your number one and, uh, and your thought process. All right, so I did do it uh, chronologically, and so I'm starting back as a okay, kid. Okay, gotcha. My first, my first song is Whole Lot of Love uh, by Led Zeppelin, uh, released in 1969. I did not hear it in 1969 because that would be actually impossible, <laughs> seeing I was born in 1970, uh, off of Led Zeppelin 2. But I did hear it a few years later as a very young kid. I would go next door to... Tommy Carter's house. And Tommy Carter had older brothers that were up to no good uh, in the form of, uh, you know, drinking, smoking and, and alcohol. They had the, uh, the Rolling Stones uh, lips and tongue on the wall. And I will never <laughs> forget the moment when the needle it hit the vinyl on the turntable and that first riff of whole lot of love came about and it is it, it it changed the way that i saw life the way that i listened to music i had no idea what it was who it was but it spoke to me it hit me somewhere deep uh and to this day when i hear that first that that first guitar riff uh for whole lot of love i mean it's iconic anyway uh because of the song and and what's interesting is i have yet to see anybody adequately um play that everybody plays it and there's covers all over the place of it but that the, the the way that it was played the equipment that was used the recording equipment that was used it that's part of what made it iconic in that i've never seen anybody or heard anybody replicate it in the way that it was intended and uh it, it remains you know one of the and by the way one of the great solos and i'm not a guitar solo guy i i could you know care less for the most part when it comes to solos but one of the great solos also happens in that song yeah, that's a great Zeppelin pick. You know, is it is it more the emotional connection you have to that song versus where it stands out in their overall portfolio? Yes, it's more of an emotional connection gotcha. in that, you know, I, I actually had the Rain song as uh, I was going to do a Zeppelin song. I was going to do the Rain song, um, you know, but I, I it just, I, I, you know, you don't you don't you remember certain things in your life. And I yeah. I remember hearing that song. And so that and look, it's it's a song that's played constantly. I don't think it's necessarily overlooked. I think it does get its due. Um, you know, obviously, Stairway is always going to be there. I love Stairway. I love the dynamics, and which is one of the reasons why I wanted to pick uh, the Rain song, because I love the dynamics of, of that song where it goes from soft to hard and back again and all over the place. You know, whole lot of love was was just it was it was the first, and you never forget your first. I love it, man. All right, well, number two. Okay, so number two, uh, I grew up uh, in Detroit, and I grew up uh, going back and forth between Detroit and Athens, Greece. My dad's Greek, and so as a kid through the seventies, uh, I was spending a lot of time over in Athens, Greece, and I I I had already been immersed in American culture, and so when I went to this place as a redhead didn't speak the language. Uh, you know, I was missing Slurpees and bubble yum. And uh, later on, it would be MTV and stuff. But, you know, in the 70s, I, I craved Americanness, for lack of a better word. And so back then, um, what would happen is you would get care packages. And, and my, my, uh, my cousins and my uncles would send me these care packages. And one of them had a, a cassette tape. 
And on the cassette tape was um, a, 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 a was it was a mixtape. And one of the songs was "Come Sail Away" from Sticks, uh, oh, yeah. Grand Illusion uh, album. And look, I so while a whole lot of love hit me in one place, "Come Sail Away" hit me in a completely different place. And you know, Dennis DeYoung's vocals, and once again, the dynamics where it starts out as this piano ballad and then just goes into this hard rocking type of stuff. It was perfect. Uh, I loved that part of the song. I loved that it it, it incorporated this. You know, it was you were sailing, but it was a spaceship type of sailing and all that. And by the way, this is right in the middle of Star Wars esque type of things. Yeah. And there's lasers going off. And it was such a huge thing. Now, so much so that this was back in the cassette era. And what ended up happening is they recorded Come Sail Away. And it's such a long song that half of the song was at the end of the <laughs> of side A of the cassette. And half of it was on the second side. And so to this day, when I hear that song, I stutter in that moment when I had to yeah. flip the tape. <laughs> so it was huge though. And I, I wore the crap out of that cassette. Uh, and it just, and you know, there was other, there were other songs on it. Like, um, well, even from, uh, from the grand illusion, the actual grand illusion song was on it. Um, the Joker from Steve Miller and just a bunch of different songs uh, and random songs like that. But it always stuck. That was a strange era where they were talking about science fiction and fantasy and all these other elements, but like sticks, eventually I think would push that to the furthest limits of listenability as I'm not like a Kilroy guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it broke the band up basically. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> Dennis wanted to do something and Tommy and uh, James and all those guys were like, Whoa, we're, we're still a rock band, aren't we? And uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was crazy. I, 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 you know, I love of all the sticks albums. I actually love paradise theater the most. I think it's a great album. Um, and you know, Sticks is just great, and they're such great musicians, and the, the blending of the voices, and it's a pity they didn't continue on, because it would have been interesting to see how they would have grown as one of those, you know, legendary types of bands that, st that stuck together, but not many bands do. Yeah. All right, we're cooking now. How about, uh, how about your third? All right, so third, you know I'm a big yacht rock uh, enthusiast, oh, yeah. and so now we're, we're getting into the 1980 range, and I vividly remember one of the first. So, you know, those those songs that I just talked about kind of came to me in a way. This was the one of the first songs that I ever sought out. Um, and it came off of a 1980 album called Lost in Love by a band called Air Supply. And it's actually the title song, Lost in Love. Now, the, the big song off of that album was I'm All Out of Love. There was a lot of love going on when you talked about Air Supply. And it is your your incredibly soft, rockish type of thing. Uh, it, it, it does get lumped in with Yacht Rock, although, you know, we can digress into a whole other Yacht Rock uh, topic. But uh, Air Supply, as much as it is at times made fun of and people, uh, you know, uh, critic criticize it, I love, I love Air Supply. Talk about voices of angels and just great kind of soft <laughs> rock pop tunes. So Lost in Love. And Lost in Love has this. Uh, this moment where these, I call them love bombs. If you go and listen to it again, you'll actually hear them coming in the the, the, the third part of the song there. Um, and it, it's just, it, it, it starts off on acoustic guitar and just continues on and on and on. And the, the mixing of the two lead singers, because they had basically two lead singers, even within songs, uh, just made it really, really interesting. And just beautiful, beautiful songsmanship and musicianship and just pure soft rock goodness and gold i had an internal bet of uh, was i going to hear more 
like yacht rock or more hair metal. So I, I I'm keeping score here. We'll, we will find out. I, I'm not. I don't know a ton about air supply, but I guarantee I, I could hear that if I just like once I Google it, I'll be like, oh right, yeah, got it. Um, well, I, I I I associate it with places and times. A lot of these songs, and so I vividly remember going out and and I, like I said, I do grew up in Detroit, and in Detroit, playing hockey is the law. Everybody's got to do it, and I grew up skating on lakes. And we made uh, ice rinks, and I, I'll never forget hearing uh, air supply while going out to my neighbors. Once again, the Carters next door—they had flooded their uh, their back, uh, their garage area, and their uh, driveway—and that's where I learned to skate. And I remember on my little transistor radio hearing air supply come over. <laughs> I love it, man. All right, uh, number four. All right, number four. Well, you know, you you uh, you prefaced it, so now we go from air supply to. Uh, Def Leppard off of the Pyromania album, Photograph. Now, talk about life-changing types of moments. From the first, it's not even <laughs> a chord. If you listen to the, if you listen to Photograph, um, there, there is just like a, uh, a ping of a guitar that sets you up. And it is as important as anything that happens in the song. And you talk about pop rock greatness, the great Mutt Lang uh, involved. Uh, it is just from start to finish, one of the one of the one of the greatest rock songs, metal songs, hair band songs, whatever you want to call it, uh, just a great great song. And I remember from that moment, you know, trying to sing uh, at times succeeding, at times often failing, like the people that I was hearing coming from my radio. And now we're into also the aesthetic because we're now into the MTV era. And so when I saw that, because Def Leppard had had a few albums before, I actually went back to Def Leppard's um, catalog because of pyromania and you know in suburban us in 1983 uh you didn't you know you didn't know about high and dry and that type of stuff that had come before uh and you certainly didn't know it from aor radio that way what i was listening to wllz and wrif in detroit and so for me photograph was my introduction to Def leopard and it was a love affair at first here and at first sight relative to the video yeah, de- and, and they was so thick. I I can imagine you trying to like um, you know, uh, you know, replicate that style, but I feel like the vocals were like layer upon layer upon layer. Am I am I mishearing that? You are. And then it was it was even taken to a, a whole nother level on the next album with Hysteria yeah. and that's but you know, that's the sound. That is the sound and stacking the vocals and uh just you know the, the the sweetness that came through and Mutt Lang was was in charge of all of that and that that's why you went to Mutt Lang which is why you know that it, it sounds the way it does and it even sounds like that on different places if you if you go and listen to like Brian Adams waking up the neighbors and that kind of stuff who used Mutt Lang even the backing vocals and the drums they sound like Mutt Lang but it was it was a sound and it was it was ready built for arenas uh, and for screaming along and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was, uh, I just, I loved it. I had a Def, Le- Def Leppard poster in my room from the very moment that this, uh, this song came out. I, go, I remember going up to Harmony House up uh, and, and finding in the bin a Def Leppard poster and bringing it back. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, all right, number five. So number five is my other, uh, uh, you know, it's it's not a guilty pleasure at all. I, I, there's no guilt at all. My favorite band of all time is Rat. Now, Rat hit the scene a couple of years before this 1995 album uh, with, you know, the big album uh, Out of the Cellar with uh, with Wanted Man and obviously with the, the their biggest single, which was Round and Round. This was their sophomore 
uh, effort, which is called Invasion of Your Privacy, came out in 1985. And to me, it's the quintessential uh, song for Rat in that it combines what I love about it. It's called Lay It Down. And it starts out with a riff from Warren Demartini, the, uh, the, the lead guitarist, that I think is as good as anything that's ever been, uh, been written out there. It is identifiable, it is powerful, um, and it sets up the song that is coming. And then you got this incredible vocal from Stephen Piercy, the lead, uh, uh, the, uh, the lead singer. Um, the aesthetic, once again, of it, we're into heavy rotation on MTV, so I'm seeing that video constantly. Even the drums in that songs are really, really interesting with the kick drum, if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of it. So I had to have a Rat song in my starting 11, being it that it's my favorite band. I will, I will die on the Rat Hill. I will fight anybody until the death that says anything bad about them. Uh, they continue to be my uh, my favorite band, um, and they, you know, they when they when they came on the scene, uh, I, I nothing was the same for me again. How many times do you think you've seen them? Oh my God, forty, fifty. <laughs> oh man, I've I've been on stage with them. I was going to say you got to be like backstage, hanging out with those guys oh, by yeah, now, right? All yeah. of it. I love it. You know, you know what's funny is that my affinity and, and just absolute love for Rat is legendary within my 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 peer group, my fan group. And, uh, uh, my good friend, Rob Stone, who, uh, I work with on uh, a number of uh, things uh, at Fox, uh, and uh, knew that my birthday was coming last year. And we were doing these, these zoom television shows. It was just crazy. We were in the middle of it and my birthday was happening. And obviously we weren't going to celebrate it the way that we wanted to. He actually arranged for Stephen Piercy to come on the show as a surprise guest and surprised me on my 50th birthday. It was one of the nicest things anybody's ever uh, ever done for me, and it was a blast. I love it, man. All right, home stretch. So why don't we hit me with six? Okay, six is a song called Coming Up Close. It's by a band called Till Tuesday, which many people will know from uh, the hit song Voices Carry. This is off uh, their uh, second album, which is called Welcome Home. came out in 1986. Now, the reason why I picked this song is, first off, it's a beautiful song. Uh, for those that don't know, lead singer of Till Tuesday uh, was, and I guess is, if they were ever to get back together, uh, Amy Mann, who has gone on to wonderful things uh, in terms of a solo artist, one of the great writers and, and performers uh, of, our, of our time. Uh, and I just love her voice, and I love the way that she uh, writes. So this is, as I said, a song called Coming Up Close. The reason why I picked this song is, as I said, it's beautiful. But number two is I- I'm all about ritual and routine. Not OCD-ish type, but, you know, just ritual and routine. And so every single flight that I took um, for a matter of, well, however, however long I was using a walk band, because it was all relative to sets, right? I would, when the plane got to the the uh, the, uh, the front of the runway before it took off, I would play this song as we taxied down the runway to take off. And it was just my little ritual and uh, superstition that I had to do. And so I always associate it with travel and adventure and new things that are that are happening because that's what usually what happens when I get on a plane. And so it means a lot to me. It would mean a lot to me anyway because I think it's a beautiful song and the lyrics are awesome and it's uh, acoustic undertone but with with wonderful hope and it also has a great lyric in it is um i want to make sure i get this right uh don't you know that i can make a dream that's only half awake come true and i just love that that lyric from uh from amy mann in this song you know you're not alone i've met a number of people over the years who have uh you know a takeoff or a landing song sometimes those are different sometimes the same but like it is a very ingrained ritual for a lot of people yes 
Yes. Yeah. And, you know, look, we're, we're all superstitious and we all get on the plane and we're, we're ceding control to somebody uh, and we're in his or her hands that are taking us where we're going. And so, look, we, we, we're going to use everything at our disposal and we need all the help we can get. Hey, voices carry, though. That's my that's my, that's my till Tuesday jam for life. Uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> all right. Next one. All right. Next one is a band called the Lemonheads or Lemonheads, depending on which year it was. But Lemonheads in 1993. They came out with an album called Come On, Steal the Lemonheads. Now, they had come out a, couple, a few years before <laughs> that with um, uh, what would be their most popular album, which was um, It's a Shame About Ray, Shame About Ray, which was the the the, uh, the title song. Um, this was as the next album after that. They had some albums before. It's a song called It's About Time. Um, and I was totally into not just the Lemonheads in terms of the songs that they wrote, but the way that they wrote the songs, the the simplicity, the the '90s type of vibe, um, and saw the Lemonheads many, many times, front row, screaming and yelling, jumping up and down. It was just a fun party. Evan Dando, the lead uh, the lead singer, um, has a really unique low baritoneish type of uh, voice, and the songs that he wrote were I was able to replicate some of them, which made it very different than say a, a Def Leppard uh, or a Rat. In and it wasn't it wasn't that they were just you know, uh, childlike or anything like that. It was just, that was the, that was the way of recording at the time. And I really, it really spoke to me at that time. And it's a, it's a wonderful song. It's just a beautiful song called It's About Time off of the Lemonheads album in 1993. Gareth will be very happy to hear the, them included. He he went on a long backstory uh, about the, the story behind his, It's a Shame About Ray and who Ray was uh, like, on a podcast last year, I got to dig that back up, but, uh, shout out to Gareth. He'll be, he'll be excited to hear that. Now you are, Absolutely. you're getting into my era now. The nineties, nineties is, is like my, my window. I'm excited to hear what, what's your, uh, where are you going with number eight? Okay. So like I said, you know, I had to, I had to be efficient and there were some very, very good ones that I couldn't have, but you know, I'm, I'm, so I'm at, you know, I'm at number eight right now, which means obviously I only have four more picks here and I got to get myself to 2020 basically. So, all right. So last one I said was 1993. I'm going to skip ahead to 1998. Interestingly enough, um, this band is fronted by uh, a, a woman who actually hung out a lot with Evan Dando. I remember actually being at a show in New York city at Roseland um, where they were both performing. This is a, uh, this is a song called boys on the radio by a band called hole. Uh, many people know, uh, that uh, uh, Courtney Love is the yeah. uh, lead singer of a band called Holes. This came out in 1998 uh, off the album Celebrity Skin. It's Boys on the Radio. Now, here's the deal uh, with with Hole. This album I love, and the reason why I love it because was how well produced it was, which almost is a backhanded compliment to yeah. Hole because their their album before, and oftentimes the one that is heralded is a much lower produced, much more type of grungy Nirvana-esque type of thing. Obviously, she was married to uh, Kurt Cobain. Uh, but I just love the produced. And, um, you know, Billy Corgan was all over this album. And it was very, very successful. And part of the reason was it was really, really well produced. And they were just great pop songs that were recorded really, really well. And I just love uh, Boys on the Radio. I love that whole album. Um, 
but you know this song in particular. I ride hard for Malibu. I, I'm with you. I love that album. It's an album that got a lot of. It took a lot of shit at the time because it, it you know, for some of their fans, it felt like a betrayal. Same thing that like happened to Liz Fair uh, separately. Yeah. But I think over time we have reappraised it. You know the the quality of the music. Plus, I just thought, I always thought that album was great. Um, and brought a new dimension to Courtney Love. I mean, she was she yeah. was a really charismatic, uh, you know, lead singer on that entire record, and it and it played to her strengths really well. Yeah. So a couple of the uh, the eighties albums uh, and songs off those albums that I that I thought about at the time, just to give you reference points. I, you know, I think one of the great great sorry not eighties nineties one of the great yeah. albums of the nineties and I would even argue one of the best um, is the new Radicals album. Uh, oh yeah, you, know, you, uh, you get what you I give. Mean, just, you know the, the comeback yes. for the Biden inauguration. Oh, I just I know you're right. Right, they just came back. So maybe even Brainwashed Two is the name of the album. Uh, the first Third Eye Blind album, the Third Eye Blind album was uh-huh. really really good. I mean, they're good. I really like them anyway. But those were some of the also rands from the uh, from the nineties. But now now I skip ahead to the the 2000s and it's uh it's it's hard for me man it's it's a desert as 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 the tastes change <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> i they, so you're 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 down to your final three what i'll be interested to see what you pick because i'm with you i i did not like and i don't want to say everything i thought hip-hop was really interesting during the 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 aughts as it were but i didn't really like the rock of that time i was never really got into like the strokes or like some of the even the other i like the hives a little bit but that's that whole ten years is kind of a dead zone for me. So we're, you're on your number nine. Uh, what's next on your list? All right. So what's next on the, the list is I'm going to go over to a uh, a UK band, um, and I'm skipping ten years. So Celebrity uh, Skin from Hole was 1998. So I'm going to 2008. It's not that there weren't great songs. There were plenty of great songs. I even thought about putting. Um, a uh, Tommy Lee had a, had a, had a couple solo albums and solo singles, and he had a song called "Good Times," which was awesome. By the way, I think that came out in two, 2005. But what I ended up going with was uh, "One Day Like This" by a band called Elbow. It came out in 2008 uh, off of the album "The Seldom Seldom Seen Kid." Um, it is an epic type of song in that once again it starts very very low uh and just builds to this incredible crescendo i love i love those songs like you know like bad from u2 and those types of songs that 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 build into something great and they're wonderful from a live perspective and if you ever get a chance to pull up uh elbow uh playing this song live it is amazing to see how the crowd just grows and feeds off this song growing and evolving and it's just a it's a beautiful beautiful song um uh, one day like this, a year would see me right is, is the basic lyric. And the lead singer evidently had this in his lyric book for a long time and just married it with this song. And he knew right away that they were going to have something special. And it went on. It was, you know, it's, it's one of their their bigger hits. It's been covered by a lot of other people. And it's just perfect for like that festival. Uh, knock on wood, we get back to a, a point there where, oh, yeah. where whether it's Elbow or anybody else, we can be in that in that communal type of setting and just screaming and yelling as the song builds to a crescendo. I love it. Uh, that's a great pick. All right, so who's who's wearing the number ten? Because that's a hallowed that's a hallowed designation in your sport, my friend. It is. It is. I didn't quite associate it with the numbers, but I, <laughs> I will say. Okay, so um, a band called Bleachers, uh, fronted by I, I can't remember his name, Jack. What's his name? Uh, that was uh, on on another band. But anyway, in 2014, he came out with a really really good album called Strange Desire. Uh, had a couple of really uh, uh, good song, well, a bunch of really, really good songs. I thought the best was the one that was the most popular, which is "I Want to Get Better," 
Um, and it's, you know, I, I knew nothing about him or even his former band, really, because I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. And yet immediately when I heard this song, it was this is something exciting. This is something the, the joy within this song and even, you know, the, uh, the melancholy relative to some of the lyrics and stuff like that. It just made it great. Now, there's a really, really interesting um, YouTube clip where he actually goes back and shows you because now we're in the day and age where you can create things in your home. He shows you exactly how he created the song in his home with, with all the equipment and he goes through it if, you know, for a geek head or, or any type of musician that, that wants to understand some of the inner workings of how something like this gets made and comes about. It's, it's required type of uh, viewing, but it's just, it doesn't matter whether you see that or not. It's just a great, great song. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm less familiar with Bleachers. I'm going to have to... Uh, I got some homework to do after this, which is exactly why I wanted to talk music with you, because I always leave with, with, with something else to, to get on my plate. Um, okay, man, your last one. You've been great. You've given me so much time, uh, but uh, hit me with your number 11 choice. All right. Number 11 choice came out in 2020. And, you know, as I said, it's it... it they're few and far between when they hit me. Um, but this one did. It's by a man who, in my estimation, is a legend when it comes to music. It's by a man who, in my estimation, is one of the, the shining stars. Interestingly enough, um, he actually came out of the 80s metal scene, uh, was the lead guitarist for a band called South Gang, then went on to form Marvelous Three, another great uh, trio of power pop type of stuff and has since become one of the preeminent producers in the world and certainly for pop rock type of music uh men women everybody uh everybody out there i'm talking about the great butch walker and in in uh, 2020 he came out with an album called american love story and he came out with a song called gridlock and it is as you would expect immaculately produced um wonderfully written and just gloriously performed by, as I said, one of the great artists living today when it comes to uh, pop rock type of music. So I, I, I really, really enjoyed uh, the album and I really, really enjoy this song in particular. So it's called Gridlock by Butch Walker, came out in 2020 off of American Love Story. How, if I asked you how many of these songs would also be on Roger Bennett's mixtape, what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> I would I'm not sure. Well, Roger would have definitely heard of some of the 80s uh things. And I think actually I think Elbow, I think uh with his uh, with his background, I think that would be something that he would see. I'm not sure any of them would be on his list, but you know, you never know. You he never would know have like nine Roger. Tracy Chapman songs. Fast he car would. like four yeah, times separately exactly. at different different intervals. <laughs> well, look, man, Alexi, this was that. this was a ton of fun. I'm so glad that we we had you back on talking music. We'll share your uh, your mixtape with all of our followers. Tell them to uh, to pass them along to their loved ones as a gift, like we used to do in the in the old days. Uh, it does it does make me sad that we don't make mixes in the in the same way. It's it's just not the same I to know. drop a playlist together than just sit and sweat over the actual creation of it. But, um, but look, and, man, and, and, and you didn't know how it was going to be received, right? Oh, I mean, never. oftentimes <laughs> it was part of the, it was part of the wooing process and all that. I mean, the kids don't know today what we had to go through, but listen, <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate you having me on as always. Like I said, congratulations. I know it's going away and that's sad, but what you have left us is a tre treasure trove of, uh, of wonderful entertainment, over 200 pods. My best to you, obviously my best to Gareth as he, uh, as he faces this challenge going forward. And I hope that you and yours and everybody out there is staying safe and sane through these crazy times. And here's to a day where 
like I said, we can all get together in a communal type of setting and scream and yell at the top of our lungs uh, and sing these beautiful songs and many more songs that exist out there. Thank you, my friend. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things. And then we, the fans, tell them, stop being interesting. You're being a locker room distraction. Uh, That's ridiculous, Uh, which is why on this show, we celebrate distractions by telling you what's been distracting us this week. And and like I said, what's been distracting us this life. Gareth, we're going to take a page from Alexi Lalas's playbook and run back our own mixtapes that... What do we say? Like, how would you explain your life to your children in a mixtape, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so hard, but it's awesome. Um, <laughs> what would, what was hard about it for you? Oh, uh, I mean, well, what I tried to do was, and I love that he said starting 11 because it buys one more song. I'm going 11, baby. Uh, <laughs> Fine. But... I have 10, but you knock yourself out. Whatever, I'm 12 right now. I'm going to have to delete one as we go. But um, what I sought was songs that could fit over multiple times in my life. You know what I mean? Like some of those artists or songs that like pop up, you know, as a kid and then later on. And so they could sort of encapsulate different eras. Um, But there are so many parts of my life that are specific to music like you know in my late 20s early 30s when i was djing like that was all about music so i had to include some of that um i don't know it was really hard uh but this was a fun exercise and like i said i just tried to find things like for instance that one bob dylan song like bob dylan is the first artist i can think of in my life my mom was listening to him all the time and then this particular song came up in my early 20s. And then again, when I had kids. And so it's like, that wasn't necessarily my mom's song, but like as a representative of like these three different times in my life or the constancy of Bob Dylan in my life, this song qualifies. And so that's how I approached it. I don't think I had any music made before I was born. I cannot say the same. <laughs> I think it was mostly, and, and a lot of what I did was, I didn't want it to become, well, in the 90s, I was really big into live, so here's lightning crashes. Uh-huh. It, it was more, these are things about me that kind of summarize me, and here's mm-hmm. a song that encapsulate that thing. <laughs> so the, the, mm-hmm. I don't know that many people would find my mix even remotely listenable. <laughs> right. But uh, I just said, you know, I was like, I'm just going to roll with it that way and, and let the chips fall where they may. So but why don't we get into it, Gareth? I'll go first since you have endless, <laughs> endless editing still to do on your playlist. Yeah. Here. What are you going to do? Um, and a lot of, I, a lot of this was really aimed at my, my children. Right. So I think about my, mm. my daughters and what I would I want to say with a mix, you know, giving to them about me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start. My number one song is a, is really a, a life lesson, which is take what makes you weird and sort of embrace it as what makes you you and just don't worry about it. 
So I'm going to mm-hmm. lead off with Loser by Beck. Because I, huh. I think that song, first of all, straight banger. Love that song. Uh-huh. Sounds really great and hard and loud when you crank it up in a car and you're moving around. No, it has aged very well. I played it for the kids recently in the car and sang along to it. But I remember seeing Beck on MTV right when he first broke. And he mm-hmm. did something weird. He, someone handed him like an old phone and he like broke it. And I just remember being like, this dude is like so weird. But everybody watching it just being like, man, that guy is really cool. And that I think he was the first musical person that was like fully embraced. I'm a like I'm a like a total loser, miscreant, weirdo, whatever you want, want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what makes me iconic in my own way. And it's just a life lesson that I like steer into the skid of your idiosyncrasies would be like a, a life lesson. I wish I had learned so much earlier in life. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. And a great song. I love that song and a good first song on a, on a mix, you know, and you gotta just hit me, hit me with it hard, you know, but don't go like all the way over the edge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. You're yours. Uh, you're number one, Gareth. My number one, like I said, uh, Bob Dylan is the first artist I could think of in my life. Uh, my mom played him a lot. Then when I, when I rode my bike through the UK when I was 22, a friend of mine made a mixtape for me to listen to, and this song happened to be on it. It was the Birds version, not Bob Dylan, but this song was there. And then when we had kids, this was one of the songs that I sang at night to the kids uh, before going to bed. So it sort of hits different parts of my life, and that is You Ain't Going Nowhere by Bob Dylan. And yeah, so it kind of checks that box of like youth and then into my own parenting. So there you go. All right. I'm going to jump right into my number two, Gareth. It's No Rain by Blind Melon. Wow. For a very specific reason. Okay. Take middle. This was a song you lost your virginity to. (laughs) Yeah, two two weeks ago. Um, (laughs) Take middle school dances out of it. Okay. Okay. Because middle school dancing was either slow dancing or it was like some variation of slam dancing as a joke. Uh, this was as the, soon as you said slam dancing, I want to do something around our high school sock ops. But go ahead. Right. Um, this was the first song I remember dancing to, mm. like that didn't involve anybody else. That I was just yep, yep. in a room dancing. It was at band camp. Right before freshman year, mm-hmm. there was a da- some sort of dance that no one wanted to go to because it was just going to be like the losers of the band camp at this dance, it's like at an organized event. And we all decided, yep. let's just go there and take it over and have fun. And I saw mm-hmm. like older dudes like Jesse McWilliams and <laughs> you walk mm-hmm. carols and John Kleefeld like dancing to the song. And I, I just remember dancing and being like, no one's judging me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just think a good lesson is be willing to dance in public completely unselfconsciously and unapologetically. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great lesson and a great reason to include it. I just I'm wish also, it had been like, a better song. I, I'm not going to lie. I wish it had been a better nah, song. <laughs> dude, dude, time has been really kind to that band and that song. And I think you should embrace it. And also the the ripped away version from like their later album where it's like super stripped down and heavy 
is fucking badass. So you should embrace that song. And Shannon Hoon and them, they're they're great. So well nice. done. And I, I like I envy that you have a memory of like quote the first song you danced to. So I mean, I remember dancing rad. to like "It's the End of the World as We Know It" or "Stand" in middle school. But like that's not. It was just like jumping around as a joke. This was like mm-hmm. I'm doing like the weird '90s hand things. And I might yeah, be twirling yeah, yeah. a little bit here and there, but like, you know, slowly, like a turn, like your D'Angelo on the turntable minus the body. Oh, dude, I've done a lot of <laughs> hip hop dancing. I know all the ways to actually not dance while dancing. I get you. So, all right, all right what's your number two? My number two, uh, when I look, these are not in chronological order, but like, I needed something after, like, you, you said it, like, I didn't want to come out full bore. On the first song, um, and that Dylan song has it has some swing to it, but it's not heavy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I hate my Dylan pick. I wish I could fix it, change it. Okay, whatever. Uh, it, my number two is a heavy dance number from my twenties and thirties when I was doing a lot of DJing, and that is like soul, funk, Latin DJing. Um, this was one of the songs I would play that would just always pack the dance floor. And people went nuts, and it's just fun and heavy, and it's My Baby Likes to Boogaloo by Don Gardner. And now when people are like, what kind of stuff did you used to play? Like, this is the song I send them. It's got this weird lo-fi soul thing going to it. I played it on our stoop on when the election results were announced this spring, like we or this fall, we kind of, we had a party and just DJed for hours. And when I played this, like, this guy just went like dancing by in the craziest way. The song is infectious. It is loud. It is strange. It feels like it's going to fall apart at any second. It means a lot to me from that era of DJing in my 20s and 30s. So uh, I still have the 45 and it will not fail to move you. So there you go. I do remember you DJing your wedding on vinyl. This was not part of the 45 minutes that I played like I played like 45 minutes of 45. They were all my wife's favorites. And I would have picked one of those songs in particular, but it's not on Spotify. So this is what you get instead. <laughs> all right. My my number three is another big, big time life lesson that's gotten me through a lot. I'm unsold on the pick. It's going to be a game time decision here. So let me start with the lesson. <laughs> the lesson is have a karaoke jam. That just like hmm. raises the roof on wherever you're doing karaoke. Uh-huh. Now, I should pick here Rapper's Delight by Sugar Hill Gang, which is a song that we loved growing up that we memorized the the the, the chicken dinner part to. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can still do. Because I busted that out for years in various karaoke clubs, and people would always be like, yeah, it's cool. But I'm going to go with my heart here, not my head. First of all, every every white guy has like a rapper's delight in their arsenal. So it's not like, oh, I was so special doing Dude, that. Mine it's is so the Humpty cliche. Dance. Yeah. Mine is the Humpty Dance. I'm going to go with Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. A great song. All-time great song. It is a great song. I, it's come up twice. I won a karaoke competition with my friend Chris Dirks because, and Wrigleyville after a Cubs game because we got in front of each other and started to do like the mirror reflection movements, like a mo- like two mimes <laughs> looking at each other. Mm-hmm. And then 
at my uh, my cousin's wedding, all of us got on the dance floor and, and danced to Man in the Mirror, and like it like took over the wedding. So I'm just gonna go with my heart here. Not only a better, like more musical song for a mix than just like the nine minute version of Rapper's Delight, but I also just think your karaoke jams gotta. If you can't sing, you gotta be funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Brad, if I can jump in, then my number three because I just moved it up on this, but like, is my karaoke jam, which I put on here for the same reason. Now, this is also there because. My daughter went through a big Johnny Cash phase and she referred to herself only as June Carter Cash for a little while. And I was when she was around three. But that was also around the time of More Than Mean and Julie DeCaro and I performed this at karaoke after an awards night because it is my karaoke jam and so much the better when you have a woman to do it with as a duet. But I put it on here for that same reason and it's Jackson by Johnny and June Carter Cash. But she I put it on up. here. Yeah. Well, that, oh my God. I mean, like that warms my heart. But like, <laughs> um, it's my karaoke jam. And I put it on here for the same reason you did and for all the good memories around it, both at home and with Julie. And it's important to have a go to karaoke song. So I'm with you 100%. And they both occupy. Now, number three on our mixtapes. That's awesome. Uh, and I do remember that night. I remember just going back to my hotel room at like five in the morning and being like, we're going to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got home and I had to take my daughter to a birthday party and I could barely stand up because I was so tired. Mm-hmm. Um Okay. So, uh, by the way, I, I was not drunk. Uh, could barely stand up. It was I flew back from New York to Chicago on no sleep, and uh, it, then took her to the ba- jump zone. Okay, number th- what four? This will be four. This is learn an instrument so that you can actually hear what musicians are trying to do. Because <laughs> you you appreciate music in a way that I think goes to a different level of complexity if you ever learned how to do an instrument. And Gareth, as we've discussed, and you were you were there for, I was a trumpet guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking a trumpet jam. <laughs> a song go. that I rode for hard in the 90s. A song uh-huh. that I bought a very expensive CD for, only to find out that it, the CD cut was different than the radio cut, and I didn't like it as much. I'm talking <laughs> about a song called Cantaloupe by a little outfit known as Us Three. Us Three. Dip, trip, flip, Fantasia. <laughs> I mean, oh, they yeah. might be US three. I have no idea. I, but no, it was us three. That's okay. how they pronounce it on ninety seven X. I loved that song. I loved mm-hmm. that song. I still like it. I listened to it the other day when I was prepping for this, and I was like, I love that trumpet solo. I, I remember thinking these guys are the future of hip hop. Wrong on that account. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was my that was my jam. And if you put a trumpet at a song. I'm probably gonna uh-huh. like it. Even ska, man. When I got to college and all these Chicago kids were like pushing ska on me hard, I was like, "Well, it's okay. I'm not a huge fan, but I do like the horns." Mm-hmm. <laughs> well done. All right, what's your? I floor? like some of the. I like some of the. I don't know. I like a lot of your picks for like. I don't know that sweet spot in time that you're hitting here. So um, my number four is one of the bands that 
between college and post-college, I will have to look back on my life and say meant the most to me was Modest Mouse. And their song, Talking Shit About a Pretty Sunset, is, I think, just about the best song in their early arsenal, because I certainly checked out when they got popular, as any good overly snobby indie rocker should. But there was one, it was New Year's 2001 to 2002. It was probably the best New Year's party of my life. And then on January 2nd, I drove from Saratoga Springs, New York, out to, to Boston to drop some friends off. And we were in my truck at about sunset, listening to a new mixtape a friend had made us. Um, we all loved Modest Mouse. We were obsessed with this band around that time. And it was sunset. We were pretty hungover from drinking for days on end. And this song just kind of came on. And I've talked to the two friends that were in the car, and we all just remember that moment as being just, I don't know, one of the most profound in our lives for summing up that time of our life in music. And I don't know, it just, it, it was perfect. It was why mixtapes exist. Um, it, it's never, it was just a perfect moment. And so that song will mean a lot in band, have meant a lot to me, but that will mean, that song will mean more to me than anything ever by them or most bands. So that's where it goes. Just for being there on January 2nd, 2002, driving from Saratoga to Boston at sunset, coming off a of bender. There you go. <laughs> Real quick, uh, I knew we had very different college lives. When I came back, uh, and this is a transition to my next pick, I came back... Mm -hmm to Oxford and a bunch of you all were talking about modest mouse. And I was like, I'm in like a totally different zone with my friend group. And every, like, <laughs> we're, we're like doing like fraternity parties. Dude, with to like me, it was all, yeah, stuff. it was like college radio and left to it the dial. Did not stuff, exist for yeah. me once I got to yep. college. Um, okay. So speaking of which this is my last song on side one, my fifth pick. I have to reflect on how much of my youth was devoted to trying to leave my town. And mm -hmm. I do not disparage Oxford, Ohio. It was a perfectly fine place to live. It was a perfectly fine place for me to, to have raised a family had I chosen to do it. But we can't take for granted, especially given that our parents worked at a university and like that option was just kind of looming. I remember like you and me and some other folks like, my sister was in school. I wanted to like get out of get out of town. Like I was just like I got to mm -hmm. chart my own path. And I just think back to how much of my time was I got to find a way to go somewhere else and how much that informed my high school experience and like how hard, you know, we we how seriously we took it and all the other bullshit hoops we jumped through to like, you know, pep up your 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 resume. But but my parents said to me early on, because my dad taught at Miami, my mom taught at Butler, they said, you can go to any college you want to except Miami or Butler. So I get it, dude. Like, they made it very clear that, like, you need to get out of town. Well, so. but almost instantly upon leaving, how much I, like, talk very positively about Oxford. Like, when we... I, I would you know, agree with that. Like, there, there was no love, like... Yeah, there was no, like, shit-talking once we were there. So... 
for a while, I was like, this song needs to be Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, a song we've talked about before, because it's all about like kind of leaving your hometown. Then I was like, that's wrong. What this song mm. needs to be is something that is, I left, but I can come back, and I appreciate, you know, what it was. <laughs> You're going to hate this pick, dude. I'm going to get laughed at for this pick. Please go Pretenders, My City Was Gone. No, I don't even know what that song is. I'm going... Oh, my God. Ed Sheeran Castle on a Hill. Do you know that song? Oh my God. No, I don't. <laughs> it's like real on the nose about this particular topic. Like it there's no subtlety like about what he's saying or what it is. But when we had uh Violet, that song Dude, was you really popular. Another modest mouse song, which was you know, you cocked your head to shoot me down, but I don't. Well, whatever. That one's more okay. What I, you picked an Ed Sheeran song? It's amazing. I love it. Well, I, I, so. it was really popular when Violet was born, and I remember mm-hmm. having it on like a, a mix, and I would listen to it almost all the time when I would like be trying to rock her to sleep. And so I appreciate that song, even though I'm not an Ed Sheeran guy. So laugh mm-hmm. it up, however you need. Uh, my mix is gonna gonna get even worse from there, and I have no apologies and regrets. <laughs> All right. Awesome. What's your What's your five? My number five song is a song, and there's going to be more than one of these, but like, it's been at various moments of my life, but it's mostly it is about my wife, and it was it's Stevie Wonder's "I Was Made to Love Her." I love this song. When we were getting together and like in our twenties, she had thyroid cancer, and she had to get one. It was not as severe as the cancer I am being treated for, but she had to get like one really important treatment. And it was sort of like this make or break moment in our relationship where like she had to go through all this stuff for a couple months to get ready for it. And then get this radioactive iodine treatment. And I drove her to the hospital to get it. And we were driving home back to this apartment we were living at. But it was like, it's that period where you're like, quote unquote, living together. But like, I still had another apartment to bail out to if I needed to. And Stevie wonders and like because she was radioactive we couldn't sit in the same part of the car like I was driving and she was in the back corner I wasn't supposed to touch her but she's in tears and I was made to love her came on the radio and I reached back and like held her hand and started to sing along to it and she like burst into tears and it was this really beautiful moment and it you know I've just always from that moment on I thought about her when the song came on and like it was one of the songs I did play for her at our wedding, like as a 45. And then oddly, the day before I got diagnosed with cancer, this friend of mine had found an old version of Jerry Garcia playing it instrumentally and sent it to me. And so I was listening to it all the day leading up to me then going to get diagnosed with cancer. And so like this song has just popped up at very important parts in my life, either around my wife or around cancer. And that seems fairly profound to me. So that will be the end of side one in my mixtape. It's I was made to love her by Stevie Wonder. Quote, er, not quote, I was made to love her by Stevie Wonder. The original version, not the YouTube only 17 minute Jerry Garcia instrumental version from 1971. I'll spare all of you. My Ed Sheeran pick not aging well. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I'm, I come in here like throwing love and marriage and cancer at it. It's hard. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, all right. My number six, Gareth. 
no real lesson for this. No real lesson for this other than just simply give a song that you don't really like a chance, like in the concert. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going with Tori Amos, the waitress, the live version I, with her band. That's like, I'm shocked you didn't pick Yes to Anastasia. No, well, it's, it's like this song is my favorite Tori Amos song. It was my one of my least favorite songs on that album on Under the Pink. And mm-hmm. I heard it the first time I heard this version was like years later. And I was like, oh my God, that's like everything you'd want from Tori in a song. And uh I, I don't know, man. Like when you go to the show, I want to see something new, reinvent the music. Yeah, that's it. No 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 not much more. I just like Perfect. that song. <laughs> Perfect. I could give you a lot a, so. a lot of nonsense about like the way that this t- teaches you how to channel anger or whatever. I'm still not clear what, what she's doing in that song. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's all over the place, but whatever. It's, it sounds good. Well, you know what, what I am finding interesting, and this is partly as I look at my list, like you mentioning live music, very little of my, my list was determined by live musical experiences. You know what I mean? Like, Hell, I could throw some fish songs that have been commercially released that I was there for. None of that made it for me. Um, and a lot of bands that I saw great live shows, like they were some of the final cuts, I'll admit, but they were not live experiences were not the motivators for me. And so it's interesting to hear you say that. So, yeah, love that song. All right. What's next? Well, I guess where I connected with live stuff was through my own experiences DJing. And I'm kicking off side B with a song I've been reflecting a lot about recently. This was our jam in college while DJing. And that is Stop Smoking That Shit by KMD featuring Zev Love X, or as he later became known, the late, great MF Doom. Um, And it's just like a perfect slice of 90s golden era New York hip hop. Uh, and the chorus is stop smoking that shit repeated over and over again, which was a lot of fun to chant at a house party in a basement or at a bar or a club while DJing and KMD stop smoking that shit is like representing a lot of the rap and hip hop I loved for many, many years. And RIP MF Doom, that was a big loss. And, you know, him dying or the announcement of his death on New Year's Eve had me reaching out to a lot of that crew that I was running with in that 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 time and reflecting on all that. So that is kicking off my side too, and it's a it's a banger, dude. Stop smoking that shit. So you know, my my next pick is also what I think is a very profound, raw, real, uh, <laughs> you know, song oh, dude, that reflects. This is not like stop smoking that shit. Is not like a. This isn't like Brenda's got a baby. This isn't like a PSA to like stop smoking crack. Like it is about stop smoking crack, but it's a goofy, funny, funny song. So yeah. Not as much as what I'm about to drop, Gareth. All right. Which is the bootleg version of Jay-Z's Dirt Off Your Shoulder set Ah. to that pirated stones. <laughs> like parroted stones riff from Bittersweet Symphony. <laughs> Have you mm-hmm. heard that song? No. 
Okay, it's the most ridiculous mashup you've ever heard. It's like that, dun, 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 and then it just jumps in with like, if you feel like a poo. <laughs> I just remember the first time I heard that. Okay, it's, I, re- I picked it because sometimes it's okay to just like a version of something that it would be universally <laughs> derided and you're like i don't know i think this got better with it bittersweet symphony <laughs> right <laughs> and every right. everyone who i've shared that opinion with is like you're a ridiculous crazy person and i'm utterly unapologetic about it fantastic love it love it all right you're up all right next up for me um a uh, pick from this era of my life, I just think it's the best, one of the best songs ever. And I, I keep a playlist of songs that have made me cry. And this is very prominent among them. Uh, by Gillian Welch, I think she's frankly the best, one of the best living songwriters, just writers, period. And it's her song, Elvis Presley Blues. I think she manages to collapse hundreds of years of American songwriting, folklore, race, art, religion, um, and all of Elvis Presley's life into like a four and a half minute song. And it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever heard. Uh, I knew I wanted to include something by Gillian Welch on here. And when I look at all the stuff she's released and it all means a lot to me, that is that is the song that means the most. And I, th- I just think it's honestly one of the best songs ever written, period, full stop. And so... There you go. My next song is I'm With You by Avril Lavigne. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the life lesson. If you want to fall in love, you have to be yourself at every moment of your life. So, quick story. Mm -hmm. I had met Kelly. We were at a Halloween party. We were going to drive up with our friend Dirks to the suburbs. So Mm -hmm. she's going to be in the car. I'm driving. Uh, You know, like trying to put on my my bravest face, look cool, you know, whatever. Hide any Mm -hmm. of the the red flags. Yep. As one does. Dirks is like, hey, I'm going to throw on this this CD. It's called Brad's Mellow Mix. And I'm like, "Uh, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. idea what's on it. No idea why. I mean, clearly mellow stuff because it's named that. But like, you just know. Oh my god, this is like a a mix that I I'm totally flying blind. This could go either. Yeah, yeah, in either direction. The early songs were just like Tiny Dancer and the you know Norwegian Wood and whatever else. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I don't know what's on this next. And it's this Avril song <laughs> that I liked. And when it came on, the whole car started laughing at me. And mm-hmm. I just remember I just cranked the volume and was like, whatever. <laughs> I think this is a jam. And then everybody <laughs> kind of stopped laughing because they were like, oh, whatever. You're in on the joke. And I remember Kelly told me like later on, I really just kind of liked that you didn't <laughs> try to play that off. And then we huh. we had a whole thing. We would like like mail each other Avril DVDs and merch and stuff like as a joke when we were long distance for the first four years. But I do think that's a great lesson that for, for me, which was just like own who you are and you're just going to come across so much cooler than if you try to pass off 
your lameness. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. And also like not to be like, you know, they copy, but like, isn't that, wasn't that the lesson of like the peak moment of Ladybird? You know, like she just embraces that she likes this Dave Matthews song. And that's yeah. that. Like that's her, that's like the peak of that movie is her being like, no, I like this song. Let me out of the car. Like that is a great lesson to learn is that like what you like and who gives a shit so well yeah. done i'm glad you have that moment all right uh what's uh what's next on garrett's mellow mix uh you know it is a mellow song it is a sad song this is sort of a stand-in for all of my hippie songs over the years fish dead at all uh the Grateful Dead's Broke Down Palace is a beautiful, beautiful, sad song. Um, I'm just going to tell this story really quickly. It was, um, you know, my son had been born. My daughter was probably about, he was young. And so it's in that era where you have a young kid in the house and it's winter. He was probably like three or four months old. And like when he naps and there's like a three and a half year old around the house, you always need an excuse to get her out and like, keep things quiet so he doesn't get woken up or anything. And so my wife would be like, take our daughter and go do something with her. And so we would frequently go to this one restaurant near us called Prime Meats. It's now, you know, out of business and gone, but like we loved it. And they, we would sit at the bar in the mid afternoon because nobody would be there. And she knew all the bartenders and I would get a beer and something to eat and she would get a soft pretzel and they played a lot of dead at this bar. And there was one winter afternoon, you know, and like I had struggled with parenting and I was struggling with drinking. This was probably like, I don't know, probably seven or eight months before I finally quit drinking that this happened. But like, so it's this one January or February winter afternoon, you know, four o'clock, the light's getting low. It's about, sun's about to set. And we're sitting there, I'm drinking a beer and eating a plate of sausage. And she's eating her soft pretzel is like a three and a half year old. And Broke Down Palace by the Grateful Dead comes on, which is a beautiful, sad song. And it got to the end of the studio version where they do this sort of like early 70s California style harmonies that would, you know, you'd hear from like the Eagles or the Birds or something like that. And she just she had her head lying on my lap and she looked up at me and my daughter just said to me at like three and a half years old she just looked at me in the eye and said you are my daddy and i love you and they like went on singing this like beautiful song about very well very well i love you more than words can tell and it was just one of the best moments of my entire life and the Grateful Dead have been around for a lot of those moments in my life. Quote, unquote, hippie music has been around for a lot of those moments in my life. But there's no single moment, whether at a live concert or anything else, that will ever top that, that will ever top my daughter saying that to me in the midst of this song. And so that's why I Broke Down Palace is next on my mix. It's beautiful, man. Truly Thank beautiful. You. Um, I'm going to kind of related my next one uh i'm gonna start with a quote i was with it once and then they changed what it was and now i what i'm with isn't it <laughs> and what it see what's it seems weird and scary to me and it'll happen to you 
No way, man. We're going to keep on rocking forever, forever, forever. Uh, my life lesson here, quoting that Simpsons line, is quite simply, it's not the music's fault <laughs> that right. you can't keep up. <laughs> so I'm going to put on here a song called It It Ain't Me by someone who I believe is pronounced Kygo and God, Selena dude. Gomez. What is it? I just love the different directions we took on this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't, like... This was the first song that my daughter liked with me. Like, we, Charlie and I would be driving, and she would hear this, and she would say, it ain't me, and I would crank it. And I mm-hmm. do think it, it's really important to just keep an open mind about music, especially as it pertains to your kids. Like... Don't be that guy just saying every... I mean, I look, I've always kind of joked and said music peaked from R.E.M.'s document through the uh, Dr. Dre-Tupac collaboration <laughs> for California Love. Yep. But I do think that you've got to kind of keep rolling with it. So, like, you know, it's okay to have a I iPod full of kids bop and, you know, whatever else they like. It's okay to have Ed Sheeran on your list because you just listen to it because your daughter likes in the car, too. And I do think mm-hmm. I try more than more and more. I try to just keep myself, you know, not stuck in the past as it pertains to not just music, but like all of culture. Yeah, no, I think that's smart. Like, I will say that the things that I had that were more contemporary, uh, I had the OCs because that was a band that I got really into in my 30s. I also had the only thing close to this I had was my kids, uh, Harry Styles and Watermelon Sugar, which was like, yeah, I like that song. That w- that song's great, and we listened to a lot of it at the house. That that was one of my final cuts. Um, and I will say that, like, Broke Down Palace and Jackson, through me, were songs that the kids, like, got into. But it was, like, that's dad music that they liked. And I want you to understand that, like, there is not a moratorium on new music in our house. Uh, and so I salute you for including that. Nice job. All right, what's next on your list? We're almost almost to completion. Okay, so next on my list was a high school classic that in a beautiful beautiful moment we were about we were out on Montauk at my friend's in Montauk at my friend's house on the beach for my 40th birthday. Everybody was asleep. It was just me, my buddy Todd, and my buddy Chet, and I said, "Todd, play one more song and then we're going to bed." And this is what he picked. And it was, I just said, you couldn't have picked anything better. It was Summertime Rolls by Jane's Addiction. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't believe he pulled that one out. It was a high school classic. I told Perry Farrell a few years ago when I ran into him at a New York restaurant that I put that song on numerous mixtapes in college and it helped me get laid. And he loved that. Um, Summertime Rolls is just an all time great jam and like i've I've said like a repeated part of my life from high school up till my 40th birthday so summertime rolls is next the two songs i associate most with you one is summertime rolls and the other is (laughs) riders on the storm by the doors which my god which you said i believe at one point that like the cd stopped working (laughs) because you played that song so much wow i don't remember that at all Uh, oh i don't know too funny um look my last life life lesson my last song Learn to just let things go and do your own thing, which is why I'm ending with 
living well is the best revenge. Wait a minute. R-E-M. So you're you're and okay. So at least you're ending with an REM song. But like, so say, there's no REM or James on your thing. Like that's crazy. I would me. have to bump so. Ed Sheeran or Avril Lavigne, man. Yeah, when I think of you, those are the people I think about. <laughs> Look, if we so. had made like, what are your favorite songs? I mean, we kind of did that when we made our '90s and '80s mixtapes. Yeah, but and like, I didn't want to just roll back with like. This is a way to like, tell a life. I I just I didn't want to just come back and be like, and here's. You know, I was into nails for a while, like so. Here's closer. You know, it was yeah. more like I just wanted to. And I, I think I did try to take a more nuanced approach than that, but still, like I'm surprised to look back on yours now and realize that there is like such a heavy Avril Lavigne presence and such a not so heavy James <laughs> Addiction presence. Well, so. I, I wanted REM on there somewhere because <clears throat> yeah, my, yeah, my favorite yeah. band of all time but i also i do feel like in my later life i've come to appreciate far more of their work than just like the albums of my youth and i think that does mm-hmm. show like i think this list sums up me at right now when we're taping this better than mm-hmm. if i was just making a 90s heavy mixtape that reflects my taste in my formative years if that makes sense right right okay all right, well, close us out. Uh, you, carte Blanche, Gareth, you can throw up yeah, as I've many songs two, as you need to. You know, I'm going with two because I, I took the extra one from Alexi, but like uh, my second to last song, because I wanted to p- pick it back up before the end, coming off Summertime Rolls, was The Talking Heads' Life During Wartime. Uh, that became my cancer theme song um just because I, it was early on and i was describing everything we were going to have to go through to treat cancer and you know i was describing you know how serious some of this was and as my friend ashley put it who made two of these mixtapes i've talked about she was just like this ain't no party this ain't no disco this ain't no fooling around and so when i first got diagnosed with cancer you could see me walking around like kind of screaming the lyrics to that song uh for a while but then my final song uh i've talked about it on here before the greatest live concert moment in my life and i did get one in um the walking song by rufus wainwright when he played that in honor of his mother who wrote it uh and i looked over and just saw amy bawling her eyes out thinking to myself boy this is pretty emotional is anyone else feeling that and then i realized all of carnegie hall was crying then again when I turned 40 in the midst of cancer treatments, she gave me this antique walking stick we had both seen and loved in a movie, uh, along with the lyrics of this song, sort of as representative of what you go through in a life and relationship together. And so I think the walking song, it's just one of the most beautiful things ever written. And it's had a profound effect on my life and relationship. And so that's why it is the last song on my life's mixtape. So ah, what it's an no exercise. Avril Lavigne, but it is he is it's got Canadian roots. So I'm with um, you. <laughs> there you go. So. Look, hey, this was fun. We will hopefully find some more fun, spirited stuff to uh, you know, do in our final shows here and uh, get, get some interviews done um, <laughs> that we've been trying to do. <laughs> And look, in the meantime, thank you to Alexi Lalas for coming back on. Go go find his music, Far From Close, Ginger, So It Goes, Shots. Those albums are available on the internet. Um, you, you, you can you can download them. I, I did say to him, I'll be hearing Alexi Lalas on my random 
you know, uh, shuffle plays for the rest of my life, given how much of his music I have <laughs> downloaded. Mm-hmm. But uh, look, it was great to have him back on. And uh, Gareth, I'm looking forward to our final few episodes. We've got some more friends of show coming back, and we've got hopefully a few fun surprises as we we turn the page, or I should say as, as we hit stop one last time on the mixtape that is Just Not Sports. Amen to that, baby. And thank you for having to Alexi and for you for kicking it off with this idea. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. So. All right. Well, and in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. Stay booty. <laughs> <laughs>